Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Naked Leadership Podcast. This is Chad. This week, I sit down with Dan, and uh, we are celebrating the marriage of Adrian and Allie. Adrian's not on this episode with us. He is honeymooning in Costa Rica, and uh, we couldn't be more excited with him. We spent the weekend uh, with him and his new bride for the wedding and the celebration. It was incredible. Dan and I talk a little bit about that at the beginning of the episode, but that's why Adrian's not with us. This week, we dive deep into how to build meaningful, powerful uh, leadership within your team. And there's so many good things that come out of this. I can't wait for you to listen. Also, don't forget, there's just a few more spots left at The Revenant in Nashville in June, the end of June. And uh, you can click the link on the description of this episode to join us there. Now, let's dive into the conversation. Dan, how are you, brother? I'm well. I'm missing my, my partner, Adrian. I know. Our compadre is gone, but I'm so excited about why he's gone. Yeah. <laughs> we just had such no, a great weekend. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm so happy about, uh, about what he's up to. You know, we just had an incredible weekend um, this past weekend for celebrating Adrian and Allie and their, and their wedding. That was just such a cool experience, wasn't it? Oh, it was the best. I haven't had that much fun in I don't know how long. Yeah. Dan officiated the ceremony and you did such an incredible job, man. It was so, it was so beautiful and just perfect for the two of them. And uh, that was so fun watching their families come together, that dance party. Oh, uh, that evening, watching them just dance together and being able to to partake in that with them was so great. It was, it was, uh, it was really literally a, a, the best wedding I've ever been to. Like people were just having a blast, and Adrian and Allie did such a great. Just they did it right, you know. They rented yeah. that whole hotel for two and a half days, and that made it. It was really made everybody get quite intimate. I met a bunch of people, so it was really a blast. Yeah, it was it was all about being together in community yeah. uh, to, for the celebration. So congratulations to those two. They're off on their honeymoon in Costa Rica and having a good time, I'm sure, eating lots of amazing food um, and exploring. So we will be he will be missed on this episode, but uh, so grateful that he's getting this time to just enjoy his bride and uh, and to get out into the world, explore a little bit. So uh, let's dive in, though. So today we're going to talk about um, how to develop or how to create leaders within your organization. So I think this is, you know, a lot of my clients and Dan, you and Adrian are usually working with clients at, at a, a, a phase a little bit further down the road than I am. A lot of my clients are, are very in the startup mode um, and small business mode. And this is one of the hot topics that we're talking about a lot how do I, you know, a lot of the language that, that my clients use is how do I multiply myself? Mm -hmm. <laughs> what they're really asking is how do I create leadership within my organization? How do I get other people to care about this thing at the same level that I care about it and to step up and to lead in a way that's powerful and meaningful and it's a living invitation for people to do the same, which is such a big 
big question. Um, but it also is the, I mean, the ability to scale a business or the the ability to grow a business and to make the impact that you want to make, this is one of the most, you know, this is top priority. Cause you, and, and it's one of the most difficult things there is. I mean, if, if leadership was easy, we wouldn't have so many organizations that are poorly led. Right. You know, if you don't have to look far, you can see it all around you. So it's not easy to lead. That's for sure. And it's not, you know, I remember one guy one time said, is there a, can you give me a video or a 60 minute tape on this? Can, or do we have to have this weekend? <laughs> and, and that, that, that kind of puts it in a nutshell. Like most people want leaders, but they don't want to pay the price of what it takes to build leadership into the organization. And, you know, if you think about scaling to successfully scale, the first thing you need to scale are leaders because they're Mm -hmm. going to be, they're the stewards of the culture. And it's out of the culture that everything is born. You know, how the product is viewed, positioned, talked about, whatever, you know, how people are going to relate to one another, how they're going to deal with and how they relate to one another trickles down into how they relate with a customer. And, And so knowing who your first customer is and knowing how to lead them is a very important thing. And normally if you're a leader, your next, your customers, your team, not the end customer. Well, talk about that, Dan. What do you mean? Your people, your employees, they're your customer. Yeah. I, I have seen, I've done a lot, you know, a lot of the clients I work with are really high powered entrepreneurs, you know, founders who have been very good at delivering very top-notch products or services. Mm-hmm. And they deliver them, they've started their business and they started delivering them themselves directly. And then the next thing they do is they start to hire a team to deliver those services. But they they go on thinking that their customer is the end customer. Mm-hmm. And really their customer is the person that's leading, doing what they used to do, right? So as you get out of the business and you move up on the business, your customer becomes the leaders that you're leading, the people that you're coaching and standing with to serve the customer, your end mm-hmm. customer client. Yeah. One, so, of the, one of the things I hear Gary V talk a lot about is that leaders, you work for your people, not the other way around. Yeah. You're the, re- I'm a resource for them. They're not a resource. For, well, there are resource to me, but I'm, sure. a, I'm a resource to them. I want to, how can I support you? What's your approach? What's your focus? Right. right. How, can I, how can I make your job more effective, easier, more enjoyable, meaningful? Well, as you're out there, we're doing what you're doing. That That's exactly. So you, I'm, you're my customer. Now, does that mean I'm not going to have difficult conversations? No. Does that mean I'm not going to make corrections? No, absolutely. Because this customer wants to improve and they need support in doing that. And I, we need to have a relationship where there's a communication loop where we're having conversations that are authentic, they're written, which means <clears throat> we're talking about what's really going on mm. In reality, there, like what's happening for you, what's happening around you, how are you impacting it? What do you want to have happen? 
right? All that is in that discussion. So and, let's, yeah, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. And, and say that leadership is, you know, again, I've said this before, leadership is more of a phenomenon that arises out of a particular relationship that people have with one another. Hmm. And, and bottom line is the willingness to trust that I can show up and be my, myself. I can make mistakes. I'm going to learn from those mistakes like that. That's what I was going to ask is what type of relationship or how would you describe the type of relationship that allows for effective leadership? Challenge, trusting, trusting and challenging. Mm. Like people trust the challenge you're going to put them through. Like they're, they're going to, they get that you're putting it through, putting them through this challenge because it makes them better and that you want to make them better because it serves the client. But you get that making them better, supporting them, developing them, <clears throat> helping them become a weapon out there that they can feel confident that they can meet the needs of the customer and they can deliver on the promise. They have faith and pride in the organization and the product or service that you're delivering, all of that, right? Like they need to know that they're dealing with somebody that's going to be substantial, a substantial citizen in their pro process, not just treating them like a tool. Mm -hmm. if, you know, if you treat your people like a tool, they're going to treat your clients or your customers like tools. Yeah. I also say a lot, if you treat your people like tools, they're going to wear out like tools. That's exactly. And, you know, the, the thing here is you can come up with, there are certain frameworks you can use to help you check in to see how you're working with people. Mm. You know, there are ways of thinking about that and working with that, but there's no formula. Right. There's some principles to stand by. There's some to, to, to master and to, to operate by, but there's no formula. And the more you look for a formula, the more you turn your 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 team into tools, yeah, you're just trying to manipulate them and move them. Versus having a, they're the ones that are on the front lines. They're going to bring back great feedback. You've got a lot of experience. You've worked with people. You can then articulate your experience, your product knowledge, your your service knowledge, in a context in the context they're in. Mm. This is interesting. I've never thought of it in this context before or like this idea. And I'm just like testing it out here. I'd love to hear your reaction to it. So what this, what's occurring for me as you're talking about this is that relationships are unscalable. Is that true or, or is it not true? Because the, my line of thinking is like a lot of leaders, a lot of founders, CEOs will, you know, maybe they're not leaders, but they've started a company and they have an organization and they have people underneath them. Um, I think a lot of them feel like the goal is to scale a, a relationship with them that would get, I guess, and this, this comes back to treating them like tools, but it's like scaling a relationship or a pseudo relationship that gets what they want out of them. <laughs> Does that make sense? So yeah, it makes a lot of sense because that's, the natural way of thinking is how do I get what I want out of this person with as little investment as possible? Well, that's, that's, a, that, that's, that's mischief there. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I don't want to be troubled. Yeah. 
right? Which yeah, is yeah. a very distinct, you know, and we're going to do a, a, a session on assessment yep. and neutrality, which we'll do later. Next but, week. Yeah. Yeah. That, 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 that's part of that is like, look, e scaling, it really depends on when you say scaling, right? What does that mean? Mm -hmm. How do you think about scaling? Am I scaling? <clears throat> if I'm scaling, like uh, a lot of times people think that's process. Yes. You put, you put a certain process in and it is, that's, that's a form of scaling. We have a sales process that we do here. Yeah. TNG. And there's a very, there's a process that we walk our clients through to really understand how we can customize our services to them. Yeah. Right. Now <clears throat> that process is pretty, that that's one way of scaling. The other way when I talk about scaling is principally, what principles do I apply as I'm working with people? That's the only way to scale because I'm every person's unique and they're going to call out a very unique aspect of me and right. other members on the team. And so how can I support them in becoming self-aware? So they're aware of not only themselves, but the impact that they have on others, right? So there are certain, there are principles like living is your word is a principle. Mm -hmm. which includes accounting for how I did or didn't live as my word, the impact that it had, what's wanted and needed to revive it like that. Yeah. So, so scaling a leadership relationship in the organization is essentially scaling the scaling responsibility. Like how does one give an account? What is one responsible for? How do they give an account? <clears throat> and how is that worked with in the organization? And then, then how is that consistently driven through the organization? Got how, it, how often do we get caught up in finding who's wrong or whose fault it is? How quickly can we shift to understanding what's wanted and needed? And, you know, like what worked, what didn't work? Like that is a very large part of, scaling leadership in the organization is living by principles or values. You could, that's another way you could say it mm -hmm. that, that leaders can look through into their work in a way that, and their relationship with the people they're leading in a way that opens up the biggest possibility for these people to have meaningfully get, get meaningfully engaged in their work, Got meaningfully it. engaged, meaning, they're producing the results that they say they're committed to in a way that's meaningful and rewarding to both them and their client. Got it. So let's play out a scenario if that's okay. Let's do it. Um, I'm sure you've never run into this before. I'm being sar sarcastic. You're, you're brought into an organization and um, because they're not reaching their goals, all right, or their, or, or their objectives. There's just something off that's not allowing them to either grow in the way that they want to do or take care of their customers the way, the way they want, all that kind of stuff. And you're in there to figure out what's going on and how to remedy it. Yeah. Um, what, if you were to get in there and start poking around asking questions, what symptoms would you see if it were a leadership scaling problem or challenge? Well, okay. Great question. So there's three basic domains that we look into. One, first, how do you lead yourself? 
How do you manage your own states, your commitments, your conversations, your narratives, et cetera, your attitudes? How do you lead yourself? That's the first one. So if I'm, if I'm talking to somebody and I hear it's all about the other people, and there's no sense of how they're relating to other people or how that how they're relating is impacting their relationship, then I know that I've got an issue with how this person leads themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Now, if they're they're aware of their own machinery and they're dealing with it and they're looking, they're aware of it. They're they're taking, you know, steps to have conversations, they're intervening in their own judgments of the people that they're working, open to seeing new possibilities with that person. Divide, they're, they're willing to really take themselves on, but they're having a difficult time connecting with the person that they're leading about whatever issues up. Well, then that's probably going to be, I'm going to investigate how they're leading others. Mm-hmm. That's the second level. So there's leading oneself, there's leading others, and then there's producing breakthrough results. So if I'm leading somebody and I've got, a, I've got them lined out and they're not producing the results I want, then there's something in our relationship that needs to shift. Yeah. Because, but the relationship's in place because relationship is always the predecessor to, re, to action and action produces results. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, most people think scaling is all about scaling the action to get the result but it's really the relationship that produces the action that gets the result. And you can, that's why you can see some, you can have three different people doing the same thing and each one produces different results because of how they are doing the thing, like the way they're doing it, the way they're engaged in it, their attitude, how they, you know, give themselves to the process is what literally produces the result. Mm. That's why IBM did a very interesting study back in the 70s where they wanted to know how come 20, a very low percentage of the people produce 80% of the results. It's the old 20 rule. Yep. That's right. And when they, they started doing this study, it went on for 10 years. And they they what they did is they carved up, or went on for five years, they carved up, they took the te- territories, they took the guys and the, the guys, the men and women in the high producing territories mm-hmm. and put them in the low producing territories and switched the low producers into the high producing territories because all the conversation was, well, this person's got a better territory. Mm-hmm. And initially, and initially the ones who did poorly did well, but over the year or two that or five years, because they, they did number of shifts and so on. And it was consistent over the five years, no matter how, they took the high producer, they put them in a low producing area. Within a year or two, they were the high producer again in the low producing area. Makes sense. And when they they got down to asking, well, why is that? They realized there's a certain awareness that the high producer had that the low producer didn't have. And, and, and that awareness varied, but it generally was around understanding what your client wants. So it was funny because the scientific findings were how when somebody asked, how come the low producers continue to produce low and the high producers, no matter where you put them, tend to rise to the top? Mm -hmm. And the answer was dumb stuff. And what they meant was if if 
if the high producer knew that the client had children or the client enjoyed baseball or they didn't, they wore a tie, they liked formally dressed or they liked to be casually dressed, they would make sure that they were conscious of that and they, they would honor that. Mm. Whereas the low producer didn't pay attention to that. So they might wear a tie to a, a guy who wants to be, who really feels much more relaxed in a, yeah. in a non-formal environment and then not wear a, and then wear a t-shirt to a guy or a gal who appreciates a more formal environment. Right. Mm -hmm. and it was these kinds of things, but it was in their awareness of who they were engaging. They were not leading themselves where well, and they weren't engaging other people where they were. So they weren't leading others. Well, mm -hmm. right. So that's like, there's some simple principles beyond time. Be early, right. Um, if you say, if you're going to do something, say, do it. If you break your word, acknowledge it, right? They found that one of the things they found that those high producers, if they, they broke their word, they were very good at, at accounting for it and using that opportunity to deepen the relationship, which so, the non-producers would get, or the lower producers would get defensive rather than, and make themselves right about breaking the agreement rather than learning from it and deepening the relationship. So that's another example. Got it. That's great. Thank you for that. When you talk about these three things, how you lead yourself, how you lead others producing uh, breakthrough results, is it like, does it, does it make sense? Is it like a simple equation, like leading yourself, leading plus leading your others equals breakthrough results, or are they all categorized similarly? Well, you can be leading others and not producing the results you want, the breakthrough results. Right. The question is, where are you leading them to? What are you sure. leading them in? Right. So you could be leading others and not producing. So if you're not producing the breakthrough results, there's something in about where you're leading them from mm -hmm. that's producing that. Because mm -hmm. you end up where you lead from. Mm -hmm. So if I'm if I'm worried about, for instance, I'm worried about being liked. Yeah. And I want to make sure I'm always got a trusting relationship. People may trust me and like me, but may not be doing the things that they, I may not be building them up. I may not be supporting them in their development because I'm afraid that they won't like me or they if somehow them not liking me would break the trust. Mm. This is, I'm speaking of a client I'm working with right now. And my point to them was, well, what's the basis of your relationship? Is it, to better them in their work, or is it to just you're there to be friends? Yeah. Like you're there, you like what's your aim? Is your aim what's the aim? Yeah. Are you aiming at them or are you just aiming at yourself, getting by being liked? Yeah. And we chunk that down. This person got really clear that they really did care about this person. They weren't aware that they were so conscious of themselves and being liked. And they realize that they really had trust with this person they could and so they reframed the relationship they sat down and said look they uh, they talked about what the issue was they're not producing these results they talked about i gave them an example of what they were talking about you when we did this you were said you do that you'd produce this you didn't and when we talked about it you were had all these reasons why and i went along with them but i you know so how i contributed was i i didn't really challenge you and have you think about things differently. And I'd like to ask you to forgive me for that. 
I think that's really what I'm after. I want to see you do well. And I see ways to do that. Would you be open to that? I mean, that's what I'm here for. Well, of course I would. Right. And that started shifting the relationship. And he started immediately seeing results within mm. month, a month, mm. you know, results started moving. Now that's just a simple example of somebody retooling their relationship with this person, redirecting what they're really up to with this person. Mm. So they're leading themselves still. They're leading that person. Now they're shifting where that leading, where they're going. Yeah. They're about there. The, my next question that I want to ask is, is, is a nature versus nurture question. So I know that uh, uh, some leaders they'll talk about, like, they'll say things like, well, it's, really, it's just really hard to find good help or it's really hard to find good leaders, which, you know, to me implies that there's just, there's good leaders out there and you got to go find them. And when they come in, they're natural leaders and they're going to take a hold and just do this thing. Whereas there's also another idea you could, you could have, which is I bring people into my organization and I call them up to leadership. I show them how to lead. I invite them into leadership. What's, what is your take on it? Is there natural leaders? It's well, you know, there, so nature is, you, it's really more of a mature, maturity issue, right? Human nature is to always defend oneself, mm-hmm. to try to keep, to, to survive, to look good, feel good, be right, be in control. If I'm going to lead, I know that that's always going to be part of the equation, both in me, in leading myself, and in leading somebody else. I'm always going to want to take, initially, the, the road of less resistance, the less risk. How can I stay safe? That's what the body is programmed to do, protect itself, keep itself alive. Leadership is in direct conflict with that natural urge. Because leadership saying, I am taking you, I'm you and the purpose into account, and I'm making that more important than me looking good, feeling good, being right, or being in control, mm-hmm. which means I'm going to be. I'm going to stand with you in a way that's outside what we're normally used to in our social interactions. Like I'm, we're going to have a special relationship. This relationship is about you and I believe and agree that it's more, it's important to produce this result, Mm -hmm. to deliver this service, to deliver this product, to make this difference. Now I want to make sure as a leader if I'm going to lead you, that your values are lined up with that. Like if you accomplish this with me, you see you're going to be better off than if you didn't. And if I get that clear and I take time to get that clear, you're going to have a very different relationship with me than if I just got on board and assumed that's what you were up to and didn't take time to connect to you and understand your interest and see how they lined up and make sure they're aligned because you might not. And then, and then I'm going to also want to key into your attitude because I've, I've hired people where they're lined up with our values, but their attitude about articulating those values, like are giving themselves to the articulation of that is really reasonable. Mm-hmm. Like they don't want to make the investment. They may not make, want to make the investment that what they're doing is going to call for them to do. Right. And so I want to be able to, 
to connect with that too. I've got to create enough trust where they're willing to have these discussions. They're willing, I'm, I'm going to be, while I'm pressing on it, I'm also going to be open to what they have to say to see how we can come together and get aligned. Right. Yeah. So this is all part of the leadership. So the nurture side is the nature side is people are going to be naturally predisposed to protect themselves. You might as well embrace that right out. The yeah, nurture yeah. side is then to bring them into alignment with, with the vision and, and explore how, com, how accomplishing that is going to both bring meaning to them and, and uh, sustenance. Like they're going to be satisfied, which they're going to have satisfaction in the work. That means they're going to derive meaning from it and they're going to be productive. Yeah. My sense is that a lot of, um, when I hear leaders or when I hear CEOs, founders, business owners talk about, you know, I, it's just so hard to find good help out there. They're like externalizing um, or, or passing on the responsibility of what leadership, what their role in leadership is, right? It's like, I just want this thing that exists out there, this leader, quote unquote leader. And I want to be able to plug them in again with as little effort as possible, as little attention or energy. Um, yeah. So, and I just don't, I, I like well, your question, the question, like if somebody asks and they're asking you that question, yeah, your leaders, like they're saying, um, like, it's hard to find good people out there. How do I find good people? Right. Yeah. 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 Right. That's great. Well, what does it mean to find some, what's a good person? Do we know what a good person is for you? Right. Right. So that's the first thing. What does it, what, what are you looking for? What attitude, what values, what stand, what, like, what competency, right? So you're, you're going to have competency and you're going to have, and then what kinds of preferences, behavioral preferences does this person need to be able to make, to be able to want to continue to do what they're competent at? Yeah. Right. And then, and then once you, if that's, those are the two big ones. And then now the next thing is what kind of attitude do they have? Right. But the question is, if you're not finding them, you're probably not clear about what you want. Right. You're, on. Prob you're probably not clear about the value of working with you. And that like who this person will become if they work with you, if they're, if you're clear about that, then, and you see somebody you really want, you're going to stand a much greater, you're going to increase the possibility of winning that person. Mm -hmm. But if you're just looking for somebody to fill a slot and you need somebody to be a good tool, well, you're, you're going to reduce the field of people who are going to want to come to work to you, especially nowadays. Right? People yeah, want to yeah. be, I was just talking to a young CTO, a really sharp guy, and, and he, he went through a tech failure, cost him his marriage. He's very skeptical about going back into the startup field. And he went back to work for a startup instead of going to take a big job at a company that's very successful. And I said, well, that's weird. Why did you do that, given what happened? You said you were really skeptical. He goes... The entrepreneur I went to work with is so strong and so clear that I, I can see who I'm going to become. He literally said this. I can see who I'm going to become by working with them. And I've, I have such confidence that no matter what the failures are, we're going to be able to find a way through them. I want to work with someone like that. Mm. He was going to go to take a big job at one of the big platforms, and he decided to go with the startup. Because he saw how this woman, how she stood with her, with him just in the interview. He That's said, she's great. really persistent. 
And not only is she persistent for herself, she was persistent because she was insistent that my way of being and what I had was exactly what she needed for this organization. And that she, she showed me how answering that would be worth it for me. That's amazing. That's beautiful. Less money and it's more pressure and he's excited and he's excited about it. And And he, and it, I, I thought it was interesting because he had just come out of a failure that he said he never wanted to get put himself in that position again. So yeah, this gal knew what she was doing. You know, yeah. she, she was clear about her vision. Mm. So you mentioned something earlier, which was challenge your, your ability to challenge the, the folks in your, in your organization and the leaders in your organization. And uh, this is something I've been thinking a lot about lately is like, what, what makes a challenge um, meaningful? What makes a challenge effective? I know one of the ways that I've been thinking about it is like, what gives the, the challenge permission to be valid? Does the question make sense? Like, cause oh, I can yeah. come in as an asshole and I can challenge you here and there, but it's not going to be effective challenge. And it's, there's going to be resentment. Well, yeah, it's where I said this earlier. It's where I'm coming from is where I end up. Mm-hmm. So if I'm challenging you as a manipulation to get what I want, like just to, like, I'm, you know, that's one thing. And you're going to pick that up. You're going to, there's going to be an edge there. But if I'm challenging you because I believe it's both good for the organization, for me and for you, and I'm clear about how, like, like how who you're going to become is worth this challenge. The challenge is going to make you into something you've yet to be. Mm-hmm. Right? How how many people do you know sit and think about that? Yeah, I mean, I'm in the process of that right now with a team, like where there's a couple of difficult people, particularly one uh, with this one client, and she's trying to figure out how to be with them. And and my point is, first off. Don't you're gather? I, I could hear she was gathering evidence for why this guy's not going to make it. I said, now that evidence might be valuable. I mean, I'm not saying don't throw it away. I'm just asking you notice the relationship you have to that, because the thing that you say won't. What would it take for him to make it by handling that? If he was going to handle that, would that work? Yes. What would it take for him to handle that? What? Does he need, do you think he's competent enough to handle it? She said, yes. Then it's an added, there's only two issues. It's either competence or attitude. So if he's competent enough, what is it in his attitude that are that's keeping him from getting that competency on the ground in a way that's both productive for the purpose and rewarding for him? Mm, that's so good. That's such a different focus. I mean, it's a completely about face where you're focusing on, what's not working, all the evidence that makes this person wrong for the role. Yeah, that, that's what you think about it. You're, you're, that's a real bias. What's not working is because it's not working, it's making him not suitable for the position versus what does what he have to engage here to make what it would suitable? It take? That's right. Yeah. How does he or she engage it so that they become more competent, confident, and productive? Yeah. How does that... What really, and you can't get there because as a leader, I think a lot of it is like you said, I think you said this well, how can I get the most with the least? Right? Is that how you want your people to think about you? Do you want them to come to think about like, like, sure, I'd like you to get the most 
and out of the least amount of energy, but I'd like you to give all you got so we get the most, the greatest amount of, of possible production and value from you. I want you to be uh, spent in a way that's that just makes you rewarding. It's rewarding to be spent this way. Like, mm. How do we get there? So, you know, if, if a leader's coming in and they did, they, it's just seeing them, the, the other person as a tool, it's another evidence that you're seeing them as a tool instead of, but if you really get them clear and they are really standing on their own, then you can trust them when you're gone. That allows you to get on top of your business. Mm-hmm. One of the big complaints I always hear is, I can't leave the business. I hire these people. They don't do their work. Right? Well, that that's that's on you. Like, wonder what you're getting out of that. Let me know when you're done being the hero in your own business, and we can probably have a breakthrough. <laughs> right? It's it's like it, it, it there's it's there's so much dissonance in hiring somebody than bitching about what they're not getting done, than building a case to justify getting rid of them. It doesn't make any sense to me. So the idea is if I hire them, they're going to make mistakes. They're they're going to have attitudinal shifts that are going to be required. I want to set it up so I'm going to keep my mind in a place where I'm still championing them no matter what. I and and that they, if they're going to go, they're going to choose their way out. But I'm going to fight for them. And that's that's what leading yourself means a lot because it's so easy to go, I don't want to waste any more time. I'm feeling like, you know, and, and how many people am I going to say that with? If I'm saying that with more than two people at a time, like I do that, I get rid of that person. Somebody else comes in, I'm doing it again. That happens two or three times. You got to, you're the only constancy consistent, you know, factor in those relationships. You might want to check in. Yeah. Makes perfect sense, man. I, I, this has been so good. I, I want to leave it at, you made a point that just like kind of, really sunk in for me, which was if you're leading from a space of how do I get the most for the least, that that's the create, that's the culture you're creating. That's the, that's the experience that's going to come back to you. You're going to have people in your organization asking themselves, how do I get the most out of here for the least amount of effort? Which is one of the most major complaints that I hear from leaders. Yeah. It's like you, the very, place you're coming from is the source of your breakdown because i'll be i had a guy that worked for me in two businesses ago in a consulting company training consulting company and he wanted to get up and be a trainer and he took three years to get up and literally in the last year when i did his review i said i don't think you can get up i'm losing confidence in you and he said to me what do i need And I said, I've said this to you a number of times. You need to get more edge. You've got to take risks with people. And he said, how can I do that? I said, say the things you don't want to say and deal with the consequences until you understand how to say them. And he did it. I mean, it was like, it came down to, I mean, we had multiple conversations. That one conversation was the one three years into it or two and a half, about two and a quarter years in that in the next year, he, he completely com- got up and was one of the top trainers we ever had. Mm. Right. So powerful. And I want, I was, I was like, I can't do this anymore. I, there's, I'm, I got it. I, I said to my partner at the time, I get it. I'm not enough. I don't know how to support this person. 
it's, it's I, you know, I got to let him go. And, and I, he goes, what are you going to do? I said, the only thing I know to do is to be honest with him about where I'm at and see where he comes up. Yeah. Yeah. Which was the risk. That was you taking the risk that you were inviting him into. Yeah, I wanted right? him up. The, the thing you least wanted to say to him. That's right. And I wanted him up. I, I you know, and I, I was asking myself, am I, do I not want him up? No, I want him up. I'm just disappointed. I'm. It is literally time I cannot invest anymore in this guy. Uh, in this position, it's not going to work. And it's probably not working for him. But he was, that one conversation was what pushed it. You know, we'd had many up to that point. But that one really pushed it over. I'll never forget it. That's great. Thanks so much, Dan. This has been such a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. I always love doing this with you. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. my friends thank you so much for listening to yet another conversation on the naked leadership podcast your listenership and commitment to the podcast means the world to us if this podcast or these conversations has helped or inspired you in any way would you mind going to apple podcasts and leaving a five-star rating and a glowing review this helps us grow the movement and reach more leaders and teams finally the greatest compliment that you can give us is sharing the podcast with your teams and the other leaders in your life until next week bye-bye everybody we